Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. It's been a struggle this week. Um, Seems like a lot going on. And... uh, we're trying to work out issues with the projector and the sound and all this other stuff. And so we have no projectors today, as you can see. But uh, of course, that happened after I spent the week making graphics for all the announcements and, and setting up stuff for you to see while I'm speaking today and, and uh, all of that wonderful stuff. And um, yeah, it's a struggle. We're going back to old school today. Stone tablets. <laughs> and so uh, when Ron asked me if I could speak today, um, he didn't actually say today. He said, I got a couple dates in mind. Pick one, and it didn't matter to me. And, uh, but I really liked the idea of Michael at Thanksgiving. And so uh, I said, put me today. And... Um, which gave me that much time to prepare. And uh, yeah, it's a struggle, which is actually what I'm talking about today. So it kind of fits. And so um, the title of this, which Ron made this incredible title page graphic for me today. I really wish you could see it. It would be right there right now, but it's not there. But what it says is becoming who God says I am. That's the title. And uh, so that leaves a lot of questions. The first is uh, we got to look at who God says I am or we are. And so who are you? I mean, think real carefully about that question, right? Because it's really easy for me to just say, well, I'm Steve, right? That's that's the, the name they put on my birth certificate. So obviously it's who I am. But really, when you think about it, What do you use to identify yourself? I mean, identity is a big topic these days, but I'm not going down that rabbit hole, I promise. But what do you call yourself? How do you present yourself? There's a lot of people in in the room today that are like me, and they've spent years starting a meeting at least once a week saying, I'm Steve and I'm an addict, you know? But is that really who I am? No, that's <laughs> Captain America. No, um, yeah, I, I, I identify with a superhero, yeah. Yes. Up a little higher, got it. Is that better? Awesome. So for a long time, uh, until this year, if you wanted to know who I was, if you asked me about who I was, I would talk about the size of my backpack when I travel and the adventures that I'm allowed to go on, and it was all about missions. What is Steve about? Steve's about missions, right? Well, that changed. God grounded me. I haven't traveled in a year, and it's frustrating. And so when the thing that is your idea is, stripped, uh, is your identity gets stripped away from you, then who are you? It brings you to this question. 
Like I told you guys before, I tend to just feed you guys from my plate. This is what I'm studying right now. This is what I'm working on right now. So I'm going to share it with you guys. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's similar for you. I don't know. If I brought up sports, half the guys in here would stand up and show their football jersey. You know, I'm a Charger fan. Well, I'm a Raider fan. Yeah, that's a whole nother war, right? And once again, that's about identity. Stop it. <laughs> Quit it. <laughs> Not sorry. <laughs> For those of you on Facebook that he's not in a microphone, so you didn't know, he yelled out a name that's not really a team. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. No, um. <laughs> Some people talk about what they do for a living. They'll uh, talk about the money that they make. Your status, what name brand is on your sweats, what name brand is on your car. We identify with that. That's how we tell people who we are. I drive a BMW. No, I don't really. I can't afford that. But um, <laughs> No. But if you're a Christian, especially recently, and you listen to a lot of worship music, you might say, I am who he says I am. Yeah, that's, that's the Christianese answer, right? It's real simple. That's like a, we used to have a table in the back by that wall, and I was brand new here, and I would sit behind that table for the whole service, and when the service was over, I would run over to the soundboard, and they would give me a CD, and I'd put it in the magic box that makes more. It's like pregnant or something. And... Uh, and I would write on them, and I would set them all up, and like people thought I was somebody, because they would come to me and ask questions, like I'm going to be able to answer them or something, right? And uh, so this one guy walks in. He's never been in the building before, although I did not know that. And he, uh, he's like, so what kind of church are you guys? And right away, like my knee jerks, and I went, we're non-denominational. <laughs> it's because it's Christianese, right? I had no idea what that meant, right? I'll be honest. He's like, yeah, but what do you like? And I'm like, I'll be honest, bro, I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> so he comes and he sits down and he's watching what's going on. He sees the craziness with the flags. And, and uh, uh, Ron starts preaching. And in the middle of Ron's service, he was sitting right over here. He gets up and he makes sure he goes to my counter as he's stomping out. And he says, you guys are Pentecostal. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not. I mean, I guess you could say we're Pentecostal-ish, you know? There's no snakes in the building, except, well, he's not here today. But uh, we do have a guy named Snake. <laughs> yeah. But the question is, is saying... He is who I, who I am who he says he is. Has that changed you? That moment, like there's a handful of girls over here that just got baptized last Sunday morning. They showed up at church, and or some of them hadn't even been here yet, 
they had friends that were going to this church and they, they wanted to be baptized. And so we set up this baptism and they were like, well, I want to be a part of this too. And so they sat through a teaching that was really boring about baptism. And then they showed up to the beach and they got dipped in this really cold water. And, and all of us have been through that. That's the beginning, right? That's when you first said, I'm going to be who he says I am. That was the announcement to the world. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what changes are coming, but I'm in. Make me who you said I am. And we've all made that decision. But so the question is, did it change you? Because that's one thing God won't allow. You're not going to get to accept Christ and go get dipped and show up on Sunday mornings and put your hands in the air and just stay how you always were because you were good enough, right? No, I didn't get here on my merit. I didn't get here by doing a good job. Uh, most of the people in the room know me pretty well, and you'll testify. I did not get here by doing a good job. <laughs> There's uh, an example of what I'm trying to say about that. Uh, uh, a long time ago... Um, Kim Walker was like a really big deal. She was all over YouTube and all this stuff. And she did this one song. Um, God, what was the song? I can't even remember that. But in the middle of the song, uh, she starts going off and talking. And she's all, you're, you're about to experience the love of God. Have you ever experienced the love of God? And it's so funny. She sounds like a high school cheerleader or something all of a sudden. She's like, and you would know. Because if you encountered the love of God, you would never be the same. You would never be the same again. You know, and it's like, it's so cute. But it's true. If you've actually encountered his love, it changes everything about you. Now, now it doesn't just change you. Kind of like I said before, we're not just saved, we're saved, right? It doesn't just change you, it changes. <laughs> it takes time, a lifetime. Yeah. And right about now is where Matt would be going click and 1 John 4, 7 through 12 would show up. And so, since uh, I can't have you guys read it for me, I'm going to have to do it. <sighs> Labor of love. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because... God is love. In, in, this, blah, blah, blah. in this love of God was made manifest among us. That can't be right. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us first, or that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, thank you, <laughs> for our sins. Beloved, if God, is, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I'll say that again. We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. His life 
is perfected in us. See, he changes you. He changes something in you that you spend the rest of your life becoming like him. I spend each day wondering, am I getting better yet? (laughs) Am I getting, am I there yet? And the answer is no, I'm not there yet, wherever there is. But with each passing day, I get a little bit closer to him, and a little bit more of him rubs off on me. I start practicing things he would have me practice. But in order to know who we are, because that's a question I'm very long-windedly trying to answer, we got to figure out who he is. If we're becoming like him, and he says, or, and, and we are who he says we are, then we got to look a little bit at who he is. And so who is God? It's love. We just read it. It's the most famous Christianese answer in the world. God is love. But the problem with that answer and don't feel bad, Susan, I set you up on purpose. Uh, <laughs> the problem with that answer is it doesn't describe God. Saying God is love doesn't describe God, it describes love. Because without the example of God, we have no clue what love is. We don't figure out what God's character is by watching love and saying, oh yeah, yeah, God's like that. We figure out what love is by watching God. And watching his character. And that's how we know what love is supposed to look like. God is the standard by which everything else is measured, not the other way around. And if I just like sounded really cool there, know that I stole that from Dallas Willard. <laughs> but a, a really wise guy told me that I can steal anything from anyone that's verbal And as long as I use their name three times, after that, it's my own. So, I'm with it. (laughs) Research and development. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) We could not comprehend God in his entirety. We can say that he's loving. We know love is definitely a part of who he is. But we couldn't even comprehend, much less describe everything about God. And somehow, we're becoming more like him. So there's a sentence I'm going to steal from someone else, but I don't know what their name was. And every piece of this sentence has scripture to back it up that was going to be up there. But God is just. God is loving. God is truthful and holy. God shows compassion, mercy, and grace. God judges sin but also offers forgiveness. And that's a mouthful when you think about it. So anyone who's read the Bible's heard about Philippi, right? Philippi is this wonderful place where Paul planted a church. And while the church was still new, he wrote his nicest letter. It's so nice, right? He, uh, 
Some of the letters are like, quit doing this sin and quit doing that sin. Quit sleeping with your mother-in-law. Kick that guy out of the church. You know, stuff like that, right? That's what, how he talks to uh, churches that have been around a little longer and they're bigger and all this. But when he's talking to Philippi, it's all about the joy of the Lord. Um, my first reading assignment from Ron when I was a brand new Christian was to read um, Philippians like a letter and count how many times I could find joy and rejoice in it. And I'm telling you, that is a wonderful lens to read the entire Bible through. But before any of that happened, before, uh, <laughs> before Paul wrote a letter, before there was a church planted in, in Philippi, Jesus took his disciples there. And he took them to a place called Caesarea. And that wasn't a Jewish town. <laughs> it was... Uh, it was a place with a lot of different temples for a lot of different gods. And Jesus brings his disciples there and, excuse me, <clears throat> it's wonderful not having a mute button, you know, for burps and coughs. Uh, <laughs> that was wonderful, thank you. <laughs> and this place is described in Matthew just a little bit. But Jesus brings his disciples there, and he brings them to a particular temple where there's a cave. Now, what it doesn't say in the Bible is that that cave was believed to go all the way down to Hades, to hell. That's what the Greeks believed about it. And so that is where they worshipped their god, Pan. Pan was this mythical type creature that was human on top with goat's legs and horns. And uh, he played tricks on people. And he was really, really scary. It's where we get the word panic. If that helps anything to understand what that religion was about. They used to do human sacrifices there. It wasn't about bloodletting like a lot of like South America. They would take them to the cave, find the pit, and toss them in as a sacrifice to appease Pan. Jesus took his disciples there. And that's where he asked the question, who do they say I am? Here, I'll just read it. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And that's the real question, isn't it? Who do you say he is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, which means son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Gates of hell was the nickname for that temple. It was the nickname for Caesarea because of that temple and all the temples around it. They believed that that town was the gate of hell. 
And so he's standing in the gate of hell, renaming Peter, telling Peter who he is. Now, he names him Peter because Peter means rock. And he's going to build this church on this rock. But he believed, <laughs> not, he didn't believe that Peter was the rock. He believed that what Peter said was the foundation of what Christianity would be built on. And the gates of hell, all those religions could not stand against that understanding. And that's who we are. We are the people that carry the message that is the foundation that the world sits on right now. We are the ones who are being like Peter was. Peter was no longer Simon. He was Peter. When Peter recognized who Jesus was, he was not only given his walking papers, so to speak, he was told what he was supposed to do, he was also renamed. He was told who he was. Here is your, here, here is your identity, Peter. <laughs> this is who you are. You have to understand, in that moment, <laughs> Peter was still all messed up. <laughs> he was still the same dude he was before that trip, right? He still is believed to have had a foul mouth. He was uneducated, hot-tempered, really extravagant, right? Lord, I would never do that. Yeah, you would. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to tonight, dude. Come on. <laughs> and yet... I mean, how many times does, after this moment, how many times does Jesus, to Peter's face, call him Satan? I mean, like, Peter was not all there yet, but he was becoming Peter. So how do I become the person that God says I am? How do I get there? I mean, one thing to do is to figure out what is natural and what is biblical, right? Who am I naturally? Well, I'm flesh, I'm blood. You hear all kinds of sayings, especially today that are definitely natural. You just got to believe in yourself. Yeah. Uh, one Ron likes to talk about is an old song. It can't be wrong when it feels so right. No, that is not true. <laughs> it's a lie. <laughs> a lie from the gate of hell. No, um, or, or one, and our founding fathers said one. It's a fallacy. And the pursuit of happiness. It's our God-given right to pursue happiness. Life isn't even about happiness. Not at all. What, is, what does happiness have to do with freedom? It doesn't. 
Sacrifice has to do with freedom. And our forefathers knew a lot about that. <laughs> anyway, uh, before I get accused of being a Christian nationalist, I'll move on from that topic. <laughs> but that which is biblical is true, right? That's what something Jesus actually said, <laughs> you know? The truth will set you free. Was he talking about hearing something that seems factual? No. John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold up my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus is the truth, and he will set you free. Not, not a fact. <laughs> he is the truth and the life. It's not knowing something. There's no secret knowledge that we're going to gain that gets us into heaven. It's simply Jesus. And so how does knowing that help me to become the person God says I am? It doesn't. Knowing anything there's nothing you can know that helps you to become the person Jesus has intended for you to be. But trials get you there. Um, something that should be in here is the scripture. Oh, here it is right here in the beginning of my Bible. James 1-2-8. I, I actually put it in the cover because this is one I want to remember. Consider it pure joys, my brother and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. You all know this one, right? It's the trials, the struggle, that begins to turn you into who God says you are. Think about it. Peter watched his Lord on a cross and then betrayed him three times in one night. And that's what turned Peter into the rock. That's what turned Peter into the guy that would say, no, you can't hang me this way because I'm not worthy of that. Hang me upside down. Malachi 3, it says that, talking about Jesus, by the way, in the Old Testament. Yes, there's evidence in the Old Testament. It says that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. To, purif to purify silver... Anyone know anything about silversmithing? It's amazing. You take, you take a, a, a chunk of rock that is at least mostly silver, and you stick it in this big iron bowl thing, right? And you hold it in the fire, and you put it in the hottest part of the fire. It's a bit of a struggle there, don't you think? And while it's in the hottest part of the fire, it starts to melt. And as it's melting, all the impurities... I think it's called dross. All the dross comes to the top. It just floats up there. And then he's got to pull it out, let it cool off, wipe the dross off of it, put it back in. Take it out, put it back in. And you can't keep doing this too many times or it, it messes things up. It messes up the silver. You've got to know when to quit doing it. 
And you know how the silversmith knows that all the dross is taken out? It's when he looks at it and he can see his face, his reflection in the silver. That's what Malachi is talking about there. The struggles in our life are what turn us into who God says we are. All the stuff we've been through. And so as, as you're looking at other people's life, because the grass is always greener on the other side, right? You're looking over, man, how, Barbie has everything, you know? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you're looking over, man, how come I don't have a car like that? <laughs> how come my life wasn't like that? The Cleavers had it so good. No, you should consider a pure joy, right? Anyone here watch the, the Lion King? Am I dating myself? That's an old movie, right? I had to watch that with my daughter a number of times, even though she was too old for the movie when it came out. And so uh, Simba is the, the little guy, and uh, he runs off. He thinks he's killed his dad, so he runs off, right? Almost sounds like Paul, but... um. He, uh, or not Paul, almost sounds like Moses. He killed someone, and yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> come back, squirrel. Uh. <laughs> and so he runs off, right? And he learns a lot of bad habits. He's listened to a lot of people, learning some words he didn't know, like akuna matata. Yeah, that's, that's almost like just believe in yourself, right? Akuna matata was like what, uh, relax or something like that. No worries, that's what it was. No worries, everything's good. No worries, kuna matata, that's the lifestyle. As brand new Christians, that's kind of how we live, right? Uh, in, in, in recovery, they would say you're, you're, uh, you're mistaking relief for recovery because like, it's a pink cloud. It's way better than I've ever had it, so this is great. No worries. I got nothing to worry about, right? I know I did that as a new Christian. It was just like everything was wonderful. I didn't have to understand anything. I didn't feel like I had any responsibility for anything anymore. I'm forgiven, <laughs> you know? That was all I cared about. And so time goes by in Akuna Matana land. And Simba goes to wash his face in the lake, and he sees his reflection, kind of like with the silver, right? But when he sees his reflection, it doesn't look like him anymore. It looks like his dad. It's like, wait a minute. And that's when he realizes that everyone back home is waiting for him to come back and not Akuna Matata anymore, right? He's supposed, there's, he's supposed to come back and save them from the bad guy, Scar, and so he gathers up his friends, and he runs home, and he's heading back. And just as he comes into town, he lets out this huge roar. And when he left town, he could never accomplish this roar. You've got to be an adult male to do that in, in, if you're a lion, right? And so he lets out this huge roar, and the enemy turns around and says, Masafa? That was Simba's dad's name. The enemy thought Simba was the father 
he now resembled the father, and that was how everything could change. That's how the enemy could be beat, was because he was more like the father. And that's our job as Christians. Jesus said to be holy as your father is holy. So what do you do with that? Because <laughs> here I am, I've been a Christian for a while now, and uh, I'm not there, wherever there is. I still sin. I try not to. What do I do with that? But when I was telling that story about Simba looking like the father, think about how you felt. The victory that was in that. Did you feel it? Was it just me? The joy that came from the idea that he is making us better as we go on. I don't have to be devastated anymore. That sin that devastated me doesn't own me anymore. Paul said, it's not even me that's sinning anymore. It's the nature that's inside of me. And so if I quit worrying about the nature and start thinking about what the Bible says, it changes everything. It changes my entire attitude. It changes how I see myself in the mirror. When I was first a Christian, I'd come in here and raise my hands and everything was wonderful and I'd serve and I'd serve and I'd serve. And then I'd get up in the morning and I'd look at my face in the mirror and I would cry. I hated myself because I couldn't be <laughs> what the law told me I was supposed to be. I couldn't do it. So you guys tell me, what fears have you been set free from? How are you being set free? Anyone? Drugs. Drugs. It's a great one. Great one. Poverty. I like that. Failure. Alcohol. <laughs> That's a great one. Health. How about fear of man? Stand up here a few times and <laughs> see if you have that one. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah, generational stuff, yeah. Nice. For those of you in Facebook land, Paul just said, my own self-loathing. Shame. How about falling back into sin? Financial insecurity. And so if anyone still have any of those fears? I know I do. I've shedded some of it, actually a lot of it, and some of it I've shedded in, in varying degrees. But is my life fearless? Am I completely free of fear? No. I'd like to be. I got to tell you, this morning, as I was preparing for this, 
right? I went up to people and said, I just finished this sermon 10 minutes ago. Can you pray for me? <laughs> and the, the projectors are out, and there was some scheduling issues, so some people who were serving this morning weren't here, and, and, and there was, yeah, and all this stuff was going on. Fear came up. Oh, my goodness, what are they going to think of me? What is Ron going to think? Oh, he can't leave for a minute? Yeah, fear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Rojo. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> And so that, that, begs, that begs the question then. Because I'm supposed to be who God says I am. And God says I'm fearless. God says I'm all these things. But I'm not. Am I? So here's the difference. Israel and the kingdom of Israel was named after one man who, like Peter, was born with a different name. His name was Jacob. And everything changed with Jacob. So Jacob's walking and he runs into this dude and somehow figures out that he might be God. There's a whole lot to say about it, but I think all I'm going to say is that he realized he wanted to be blessed by God. And so he grabbed the guy, and he told him, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. I ain't letting go. And so they wrestled. Or another way to talk or translate the word is struggled. He literally struggled with God. And then God finally touched him on the hip, and messed him up for good. Yeah. And then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And so, according to Paul, we've been adopted in to the kingdom of Israel. We're basically the adopted sons of Judaism. <laughs> That's what we were adopted into, the struggle. It's not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to be that... that we accepted God and he dipped us in water and all of our sin left in the ocean... It's supposed to be that we show up every day and say, that's the target, and I'm not there yet. And we walk it out. We keep working at it. Our struggle is to be more like our Father. And I told you before, this is what I'm working with. I'm feeding you guys from my plate. In Matthew, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus 
set all the standards higher than the Jews had ever heard of. They weren't allowed to commit adultery. They weren't, you know, okay, and that meant you had sex with someone. When Jesus says, no, if you looked at someone with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart already. The standard seems so much higher. Uh, <laughs> used to, if you murdered someone, that meant you killed them in cold blood. And Jesus says, no, if you call your brother an idiot, come on, how many of you have called me an idiot? Can I admit it. <laughs> That's supposedly murder. That's a whole new standard of stuff I can't live up to. It was hard enough before Jesus said these things. Now I know this. It's like, oh, man. That's like uh, you're on the football field. You run the ball. You get tackled. And you look. Yes, I'm on the 10-yard line. Oh, I'm supposed to go this way. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's a speaker. <laughs> this is not. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand that that's not the standard when Jesus says those things he didn't really set the standard higher he set the goal higher because they weren't meeting the standard already <laughs> that's our target that's what we're aiming for I want to live a life where I'm not only someone who wouldn't kill someone I'm also someone who would not call my brother an idiot in fact it wouldn't even be in my heart to think of my brother that way. That I would see my brother in his failure, and I would say, oh, how can I help him? God, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so if God is love, and the idea is that he could eventually see his reflection in us, if that's the point of all of this, how do we look? Are we forgiving? Are we loving? Are we willing to sacrifice for the people around us who love us? Are we willing to sacrifice for the people far away who hate us? Are we willing to look past what other people are doing and say, oh, there's Jesus. Are we willing to die for our wives every day? Are we willing to partner with our husbands and allow them to lead? Are we trusting God with our lives, with our children, with our finances? Do we trust him enough to tithe and give offerings? I struggle with that. It's real easy for me to say 10%. I can give 10%. And then, oh, yeah, missions. What do I do? What do I do? <laughs> I struggle with it. I got to be honest. So if the worship team could come back up, I'm probably late already. And uh, the ministry team is going to come up. If you feel like you're supposed to be on the ministry team and you've been to this church before, you probably are on the ministry team today. And so I want to invite you guys to come down and get prayer. I want to invite you to not only get prayer for, please, God, make me look more like you, 
please, God, shine me up so that when you see me, you see your reflection. Please, God, keep me out of that akuna matata state of Christianity. But also, God, help me to accept myself the way I am. God, help me see myself the way that you see me. Someone once told me, long, long time ago, that if God loves me exactly the way I am, why can't I? So with that, I'll say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. See you guys next week. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.